might be interesting and important for you to know, to know, to know, to know. The Paul Kurtman Show. People that have some common sense and they're willing to say some things out loud that everybody else is just thinking. When the left has the government, it's chaos and it's dangerous. Paul Kurtman. It's not really about the climate. It's about control. This is the Paul Kurtman Show on News Talk STL. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Paul Kurtman Show. Here on News Talk STL, good to be with you again for another weekend right here in the St. Louis area. So much going on this week. We're going to unpack a couple of these headlines, and there's one really, really sad headline uh, that we're going to talk about here in the third segment today. And uh, I'll get your. I really want to talk about this with you, Ken, because it is just a very sad, troubling reflection of what American society is, what it's become, and I think where it's going. But we're going to get to that in the third segment. Yeah. Um, it is a it is a tear-jerker, um, but it also is infuri- infuriating at the same time. Okay. So we'll get there in a few minutes. But before we do that, uh, there's a lot that we're going to talk about in terms of our financial condition. As you know, I'm a financial advisor, and so whenever people's finances come up, whenever the stock market's moving, it kind of piques my interest a little bit. But- I'm also a free market guy, and I enjoy policy because I was in, I was a lawmaker for eight years. Right. I, was, I was the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, so all the tax policy that came through the Missouri House of Representatives came through my committee. And so whenever I hear politicians talking about finance, I can tell right away whether or not they know what they're talking about or whether or not they're just using their own talking points. Oh, I bet you have so much fun with that. I, I have a lot of frustration with that. I guess that's what I should have been saying. Yeah. A lot of frustration. I wish it was more fun, but it's really just a lot of frustration. But I want to get started right now talking about this. So AOC, by the way, would probably drive mm-hmm. you crazy, right? AOC? Yeah. She does. So When she talks about economic situations. Yeah. So hearing AOC talk about economics, um, at first I was frustrated because here she's a congresswoman talking about something that she knows absolutely nothing about. I don't care what kind of degrees or certificates that she has. I mean, it doesn't matter what a textbook tells you about economics. If economics in the real world tells you that socialism leads to death and destruction, well, then you might want to run away from that. But she's embracing it because she thinks that she's smarter. She's one of these people who thinks, well, we'll do socialism better than the country that accidentally killed 40 million people. Yeah, and, and the thing about her that makes her so dangerous is that she thinks she knows a lot and really does not know anything about economics in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's exactly right. And that's probably the worst thing when someone thinks that they know what they're talking about. Yeah. And it's just isn't it really just a matter of humility? Like, wouldn't you want to know that you don't know enough? Wouldn't you want to know that what you thought was right was actually wrong? Because, like, don't people want to be right? Yes. And that's what we strive to do here every single day. It's like, I, I have to ask the, the questions and I have to say to myself and to others, I don't know it yet. I don't know enough yet. I can't answer that because I don't know the facts. That's kind of a thing that we do here at the radio station because we want to give listeners the facts. Mm-hmm. And so I have to be adept to that. Other people, they just won't admit to ever admit to being wrong. Like Corinne Jean-Pierre, for example, or Joe Biden or other the worst. AOC. Or AOC. Because yeah. Especially the left. Like there's this there is this attempt to dig in and entrench on the left that just doesn't exist on the right. It really doesn't. I mean, Republicans and conservatives, excuse me, 
Republicans and conservatives, by and large, are much more independent-minded people. Yeah. But in order to be independent-minded, you have to be willing to have a, an open mind so that way your opinion shifts as you can gather new information Correct. and organize it. But the left doesn't do that. I mean, it, you, would think, you would think that they could, and they probably can, but they clearly don't because people like AOC take a system that is responsible for the deaths and starvation of hundreds of millions of people just over the last hundred years. And she says, hmm, this looks good. Would, would a reasonable person want that? No. A reasonable person would say, well, let's learn a little bit more about that. Oh, wait, <laughs> this is responsible for death, destruction, murder, mayhem, tyranny. Let's not do this. But this is the left. This is the left. They root in. They dig in. And it all has to do with their pride. They're always right. And as long as they're always right, they'll have control. But as soon as they admit, hey, we're actually learning here. We want to do better. Then you'll lose control. At least they think you do, which is why I think they always just constantly dig in, even on all these things that they're obviously so clearly wrong about. Yeah, that's not the true, like, progressive, being a progressive or an original liberal. They were open-minded for everything. That was the original thought process of the original progressive liberal. Today, they bastardized those words way out the window. I Mm -hmm. mean, they're completely different. I would equate it more with socialism than anything. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're, in the truest sense, a progressive or a liberal. I think they are actually socialists that are that are trying to massage our government and our way of life, our culture, into the socialistic way and calling it liberalism and progressive. It seems like whenever they progressivism. want to like learn and adjust, it's always in the direction of their agenda only. Like, yes. like they'll never take a step back and say, wait a minute, we're doing this and we shouldn't be doing this. Right. They won't do that. It's always in the direction of their agenda. We can actually, this this clip, let's play clip number two because this clip actually speaks directly to what it is that we're talking about. And it's relevant because we're also talking about the debt limit, which is being negotiated this week. The president has made it very clear that he would like to have a bipartisan resolution of this. Uh, he says that, knowing full well as I do, that the 14th Amendment is still there, and as President of the United States, he has some authority uh, to use it. Hmm. So here we're talking about raising the debt ceiling, and in order to do this, they want to invoke the 14th Amendment, and I don't believe that that has ever, ever been done. When you open the Constitution, the first binding words of the Constitution says that all legislative powers are for Congress. And when you read Article One of the Constitution, clearly you see that everything that has to do with money or expenditures or credit, all of that is to be managed in the purview of the legislature, the U.S. House of Representatives in particular. Yeah. Here's what the Fourth Amendment does. The Fourth Amendment does a number of things. <clears throat> Section 1 of the Fourth Amendment speaks about naturalized citizens Section 2 talks about representatives being apportioned among several states according to their respective numbers. So we're talking about districting. Section number 3 says no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president, vice president, or hold office. Civil, military, lists a bunch of uh, all other kinds of things. Having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress, it has to deal with Congress. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Section number 4, this is what they're talking about right here. The validity of the public debt of the United States... Authorized by law includes debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrections or rebellion shall not be questioned. So 
all that this says, and I didn't even read the whole section. It goes on. It says, but neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debt or obligation incurred in aid of insurrection or rebellion against the United States or any claim of the loss of emancipation of any slave, but all such debts, obligations, and claims shall be held illegal and void. This is not giving authorization to the president to just unilaterally raise the debt limit. This is talking about whether or not we are going to allow ourselves to go into debt in order to aid in any type of rebellion or insurrection. That's what it's speaking to. Yeah. So this grants no authority to the president of the United States. In fact, if you go to section five of the 14th Amendment, this is the last section. It says the Congress shall have power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. So the 14th Amendment does not grant in any way, shape, form, or fashion an executive or a new executive authority to the president of the United States. But the left, they will reinterpret this. They will wordsmith this. They will confuse the people in the masses until people are so confused that they're just going to let the left do whatever they want. People don't be fooled. Yeah, and another thing, let me ask you this, what your thoughts are on this. So, So say Joe Biden says he's going to unilaterally raise the debt ceiling. Then... It, it it should go right to the Supreme Court at that point, wouldn't it? And if so, how long does that take? And in the meantime, do we raise the debt ceiling? And if we don't, then we go into default and other things happen. But you, here's what I think would happen. Yeah, I think if President Biden unilaterally raised the debt ceiling, it would immediately be challenged in the court, and the court would immediately have to put a stay on his executive order. They would have to freeze it. So it can actually be executed or they don't do that and they decide to actually hear the arguments. Meanwhile, the debt ceiling is being raised and America is continuing to plunge itself into an even deeper financial hole. Either one of those two paths could happen. I think it would absolutely be challenged, though, for sure. Um, And if it wasn't challenged, we would have a real problem with the people on the right. Oh, absolutely. Because if we just let the president... President Biden just decide that he's going to unilaterally invoke the 14th Amendment, which doesn't grant him any authority. No, but they think it does. They think it does. I don't even think they think it does. I think they think they can get us to think that it does. That, you're, that's more accurate. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they want to tell the lie, and they think to themselves, as long as we can just convince the American people yep. that there's some room here at all. So they know that they can't because otherwise they would have already done it. We've had the 14th Amendment for— uh, for quite some time. And so if if this is something that they could have done, they would have done this a long time ago. But if they can just make us think that they can, then they'll just go ahead and do it. Because really, what is the law? The law is what's on our books. It's what's on our statutes. But it's really, practically speaking, what we believe it is, because it's, that's what adjusts our behavior. And so if they can convince us that that's what the law is, that the law actually allows President Biden to raise the debt ceiling unilaterally, then they're just going to do it in spite of any actual restrictions that exist in statutes or any other regulations or even court cases. But here you go. You got this congressman saying, uh, yeah, the president—and this is the thing. This is how they're using it, too. They're using it as a political weapon, really. They're saying the president, oh, yeah. the president wants a bipartisan piece of legislation, but if the Republicans won't come to the table, if the Republicans won't give him his bipartisan piece of legislation, well, then he's just forced to invoke the 14th Amendment and do it himself. They're trying to prop up Joe Biden to make it look like he's some kind of— um, 
some kind of uh, philanthropic right. man. He's yeah. got, I'm going to do a good deed for the Republicans and the American people, and I want everyone to come to the table. And then on the flip side of that, but if they don't. So we're getting scolded at the same time. If they don't, then I guess I'm just going to have to do all the heavy lifting myself. And once again, the Democrat president will ride on his white horse to the rescue of the American people, raise the debt limit, <laughs> so that way we can continue to uh, enjoy everything that we have, which, you know, keep raising the debt limit, see how long that's going to last. Yeah. So anyway, 14th Amendment. 14th Amendment is just a... Uh, a con. It's a scam. Don't let people convince you that the 14th Amendment can legally be used to raise the debt limit. Uh, nowhere at all is that part of the discussion when this amendment was being debated and discussed and ratified by the states. So don't fall for it. So when someone, one of your left-leaning friends says, oh yes, the president can invoke the 14th Amendment, you have to say, no, it's not what it's about. Take them to it. Get online go to the 14th Amendment, read it, take it apart if you need to, but make sure that they understand, no, he cannot do this. This is not what this is explaining. Yeah, it's saying that the validity of our public debt um, shall not be questioned, but neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debt or obligation incurred in aid of insurrection or rebellion against the United States. That alone, saying that we're not going to pay any debt that's being used to aid in any type of insurrection, we could probably actually use the 14th Amendment to start canceling a lot of our debt because how much money are we giving out in foreign aid? How much money? Oh, my God. How much money are go- is going to all these organizations, quasi-governmental organizations, non-governmental organizations that are working directly against the interests of the American people? Uh, you mean like the FBI and the CIA? You know what? That's not, yeah. Yeah. Because, Let's go that far. Yeah, I mean, especially in light of this Durham report. Oh. In light of the Durham report- that would convince me if yep. I was if I was coming back from 1776, like if I was a founding father and found out this Durham report and I read it, I'd be like, OK, let's make sure we put something here in the Constitution that this never happens. Right. We have created our own weaponized police force, weaponized for political purposes. Yeah, that's being used against the interest of the American people. Insurrection or rebellion. Maybe we shouldn't fund that. A lot to think about there. Yeah. You know what? That 14th Amendment might uh, have a lot of actual legal scope, more than I realize, that could actually help limit the size and scope of the American government. Let's use the 14th Amendment and just hatch it down the size of our whole country. That would be great. I would be all Instead for of the it. left using the 14th government, Amendment, let's, yeah. uh, let's us, to, let to us make, use it. To make big government? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, we're going to be back here in just a minute. We're going to continue this discussion a little bit. Make sure you stick around for the third segment. we got a headline. It is very troubling and will make you angry. Make sure you stick around for the third segment right here on the Paul Kurtman Show, 101.9941 News Talk STL. Follow Paul on social media at Paul Kurtman. This is the Paul Kurtman Show on News Talk STL. For podcast articles and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. You're listening to The Paul Kurtman Show on News Talk STL. And welcome back. The Paul Kurtman Show here 
We're going to get into a topic that is beginning to take over the world more and more and more. And it's not in a good way either. I mean, take over the world, like literally in that sense, like somebody's trying to take over the world here. Ken, a few years ago, China introduced their social credit system. And uh, we have seen, I am shocked by this, honestly, that we have seen countries in the West begin to adopt the social credit system. And where this is going to take us is it's going to take us to a place where it is going to be Orwellian. Like you will not know who you can trust. You will not know um, who you can count on. And you will not know what kind of things you're going to be able to do to provide for your family or take them on vacation or get a job because it's all going to come back to trying to socially engineer your behavior down to the T. So let's play this clip. we got a clip here in, in Australia right now. In Australia, they are taking a much broader step in the direction of implementing social credit systems in a supposedly westernized country, right, Australia? Right. They shouldn't be doing this, but here's what they have to say. A radical plan to crack down on social media abuse is being considered by the federal government. For more, Nine's Oliver Haig joins us live in Adelaide. Ollie, how will it work? Lila, good morning. Essentially, it will work the same as a passport. Australians forced to submit 100 points of identification like their driver's licence or passport when using social media accounts like Facebook and Twitter. Now, police would have access to those social media accounts and it's all part of a crackdown on online abuse. Now, users could be liable for defamation suits or even criminal prosecution and it's all part of a plan hoping to deter people from engaging in bad behaviour. Now, the recommendation were handed down by a federal parliamentary inquiry. They're reforms that are being considered by the Morrison government, with the chairman saying there is merit to remove the veil of being anonymous. Paul, this is the scariest thing that I've ever heard in a Western country. Yeah, especially right there at the end where they said this is a step in the direction of revo- removing the veil that allows you to remain anonymous. The, the fact that people can remain anonymous... That brings and ushers in a lot of freedom. For example, there's this big debate about dark money. Oh, we don't like dark money. I think dark money is in the U.S. We call dark money organizations where people can contribute their money without having to disclose their contribution. So like right now, if you give to a political candidate in Missouri, Ken, if you gave uh, $50 to Governor Parson's campaign committee, your $50 would show up on the Missouri Ethics Commission. Everybody wants to know where is his money coming from, and you can actually scroll down the list, and there's Ken Williams and your address Mm. because we want to know where the money's coming from. But then you have other organizations like the National Rifle Association. Firearm ownership is a hot-button issue in the U.S., gun rights. I mean, forget about the Second Amendment. It's a hot-button issue. Some people don't think you should be able to own guns, but the NRA, when they take money, from their contributors or from their members, they don't have to disclose who their members are. So that ability to remain anonymous has empowered people to support the causes they want to support, and it shields them from any type of blowback from their employer or from their neighbors or from disgruntled family members. So dark money is not a bad thing. They use the word dark money to make it sound sinister, and we need to get rid of it. Having the ability to remain anonymous with our financial contributions does a lot to free people up to give however they want to give, support whatever they want to support, or whoever they want to support. 
But this idea that they're in Australia are trying to remove any type of anonymity from social media users is going to do a lot to silence the public. And then it's going to do a lot to steer the public into any particular social agenda. And that's what social credit does. Like they said it themselves, they're going to give police access to these people's social media accounts all in an effort to control bad behavior. Saying that this has a chilling effect on free speech is is so much of an understatement. First of all, who decides what is <clears throat> misinformation? It's the same question that we ask here when they wanted to have this disinformation board with that crazy lady who I don't remember. Yeah, her the name. singer. Yeah. <clears throat> they they said, Well, we're gonna have to have a a board that decides what is mis, dis, and malinformation. And my first question was, well, who's going to decide that? If, you, if you've got an administration, let's, let's look at now the left-leaning administration that's in there now, they're going to decide. Mm-hmm. They're going to punish people for having the, 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 the thoughts that the right would think and the comments that the right would make. And they would be punished for that. In Australia, the media is more right-leaning than it is here in the United States. And so they actually they actually uh, publish information about things happening in the United States that the United States media won't touch. Now, that's going to have a hmm. chilling effect on the media in Australia. It absolutely will. And the thing is, is like in the U.S., we're already doing this to a particular degree. I pulled up an article from 2021. And the article... Let's see. It was from The Hill. It said, coming soon, America's own social credit system. Now, a lot of people probably don't know this, but in 2021, uh, here we go, PayPal announced a partnership with who other than the left-wing Southern Poverty Law Center. Oh, that's a horrible organization. It is horrible. So you're asking the question, who gets to decide what the truth is? Well, you have organizations like the Southern Poverty Law Center. They hold themselves out as the arbitrator of truth. They're the ones that get to decide who's a hate group, who's not a hate group, who should be allowed to exist in society in terms of uh, commercial enterprise and business. They're the ones that decide who is uh, who should be banned and who should be shunned, and they will rate you on a scale. So the Southern Poverty Law Center, partnering with PayPal, partnering with PayPal, and what does it say? It says partnering with PayPal to investigate the role of people being accused of white supremacy and, get this, propagators of anti-government rhetoric. I would have to say that a lot of my rhetoric is anti-government because I think we have too much government. It doesn't mean I'm against having any government, but I'm definitely against having a lot of the government that we have right now because I think we have way too much. So in the context of what PayPal has done, the Southern Poverty Law Center now can investigate me and my PayPal account because I wrote a book called Don't Tread on Me, and it has the little snake on it, Don't Tread on Me. Oh, that's I, horrible. And if I sell that on PayPal, the Southern Poverty Law Center is going to say, hey, here's here's an extremist right here, anti-government propaganda. Paul Kerbman, veteran person who fought for this country, you are a radical extremist. And you know what they'll do? when they Once they determine that, They'll say, well, Paul, we're going to restrict your PayPal. I'm just right now. I'm just kind of uh, pontificating a little bit. I'm just speculating a little bit because this is how social credit systems work. PayPal would say something like, well, Southern Poverty Law Center says that, you know, uh, Paul over here is a anti-government radical. And so PayPal goes, oh, well, that's not good for the country. Let's limit his economic freedom 
So they're going to put restrictions on my account. And they would say something like, Paul, because of your anti-government rhetoric, we're going to decide that you cannot buy any type of government book. Or you can't buy books written by this person, this person, or this person. Or what about going a little farther and saying a family member of yours cannot work for the government in any way, shape, or form because we won't accept them? Yeah. I mean, why not? Let's give some examples of things that have happened actually in, in countries that do have this social credit score, like China. Mm-hmm. If you say one word against the government, your credit rating goes down. If you uh, say are late on a payment of some kind, your, your social credit score goes down. Just like your credit score here in the United States goes down if you don't pay something. The difference is when, it, when you go in China, when you go to look for a loan, mm-hmm. if you go to buy a, ho- a home or however they do it over in China, if you go to have a child, they determine based on your credit score, your social credit score, whether or not you're able to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it is. It is incredibly dangerous. So look about look at Canada. Yeah. Remember back when the COVID thing was happening and they were shutting down all these truckers that were protesting? Yes. They went straight to their bank accounts and shut them down. They took their trucks they away. They took all from, their money. They took all their money, their personal property away because they were able to do it on a social level, I would argue. Mm-hmm. It was financial, but it was based on their behavior their interaction social credit level. Their interactions with other people. Yes. We don't want these people getting together. It's dangerous to let these people get together and organize, so let's take away their money so that way they can't get out and drive to their meetings. This is the scariest thing we need to be thinking it about is. right now in this country because it's happening and it's creeping into our society. So it says in this article, the implications of these crackdowns, because first off, it's not just it's not just PayPal, but Um, Facebook also, again, this is from 2021, Facebook is taking similar measures recently introducing messages that ask users to snitch on their potentially extremist friends. Remember when that first came out and like people would have frames on their Facebook account that says, I'm an extremist, you know, like they're just like conservatives kind of threw it back in their face. But Facebook has already started saying, hey, you need to start reporting your Facebook friends for their behavior. If it's something that you think is dangerous, something that you don't agree with. So Facebook is already doing it. Listen to this, though. It says the implications of these crackdown efforts will be significantly more broad than just prohibiting Donald Trump from tweeting at 3 a.m. Young people cannot effectively function in society if blocked from using Facebook, Twitter, Gmail, Uber, Amazon, PayPal, Venmo, and other financial transaction systems. That's what they're trying to do. But in America, they're saying, well, we're taking a much more soft approach for this. We're taking, does this sound familiar? Reasonable. We're doing reasonable measures like reasonable gun control, reasonable health care control, reasonable anything. It's all control, folks. The potential scope, this article says, of the soft social credit system under construction is enormous. The same companies that can track your activities and give you corporate rewards for compliant behavior could utilize their powers to block transactions, add surcharges, or restrict your use of products. At what point? Does free speech, be it against biological males playing in girls' sports, questioning vaccine side effects, or advocating for gun rights, make someone a target in this new system? It's happening right now, Paul. You've got Hakeem Jeffries, Joe Biden, and I can give you a clip from Kamala Harris as well saying the MAGA extremists. That's making someone say, 
Wow. A MAGA extremist. They must be radicals. You know what they are? They're you and I. We are, we are MAGA. If you like Trump in any way, shape, or form, I'm not saying you love him. I'm saying if you like Trump at all, if you like his policies, you are a MAGA extremist right now. And you know what? You don't even really have to like him. If they want to get you, they will just say, call oh, you you're that. one of these people, and then they'll come for you. That's what's so dangerous about social credit systems and basically putting people in groups all together. Because once you can get rid of the individual and you can just create a group of individuals. Oh yeah. And it's easy just to find a way to throw someone in there, find a way to get them through the gate. So everybody thinks that they're actually part of this group. And then you demonize the group, not the individual. And, but then when people run into the individual, they don't see them as an individual. They see them as the group and it's easier to go after them. And to create these groups, you have to divide, you have to have a division mm -hmm. to put these people into certain groups. And I will always say this and remember this, ladies and gentlemen, division is what the Democrat Socialist Party thrive on. That's what they want. It for sure is. You mentioned a second ago, um, I think COVID. So you remember when uh, the lockdowns were taking place and then the vaccines came out and there was a lot of talk about vaccine passports. And in the state in the state of New York, they are actually had an app for your smartphone that would have been your vaccine passport that would have allowed you to go to certain places or not go certain places based on your vaccine status. You would literally walk in, scan your, social your phone. Status is a yep, that's exactly what it is. And so imagine having a passport, not just telling people whether or not you've gotten the vaccine, but here's your passport telling people whether or not you've gotten the vaccine whether or not you are against and stand against the insurrection of January 6th. Like they can put anything in there that they want. And if you don't meet criteria, like if you don't have a score, think of a video game. Like you're, think of Mario Brothers. You got Mario running down, he's collecting coins and you're building a score. This is what the social credit system does. And if you don't get enough of these left-wing coins, well, then you don't get to play in society in America. And I can't believe we didn't even bring this up, the defense of liberty, that you, you, you went through so much trouble to get, to get to finished. You had it completed. It was ready to go. And Chase got involved and said, one of the subsidiaries, I believe, if I remember correctly, uh, said they were not going to help you fund or, or do you be the processor for the the tickets or something like that. Can you, can you explain that? Well, I, I can, I'll, I'll say this, they have made that situation right. But the point that you're getting at are these people that feel enabled, these people that sit in cubicles and they are enabled to enforce their left wing or radical agenda. And so whether it's a bank, whether it's a school or a university, this is the cancel culture, but this is the cancel culture with teeth. This is the cancel culture on automation. Well put. Because it's in our phones. And we're all going to have a social credit score. We're going to be ranked. There's an episode of Black Mirror on Netflix. It's all about social credit, and it is terrifying to watch. So I'm go, to, look it up. Go, to, go, to, go watch. Look up Black Mirror on Netflix. One of their episodes has to do with social credit system. Hey, we're going to be back here for the third and final segment of the Paul Kirkman Show. i got a heartbreaking headline I'm going to read. And uh, we're going to discuss it a little bit, Ken. We'll be right back here in just a minute. 1019-941 Newstalk STL. Follow Paul on social media at Paul Kirkman. This is the Paul Kirkman Show on News Talk STL. 
For podcasts, articles, and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. You're listening to The Paul Kurtman Show on News Talk STL. All right, and welcome back. I'm going to read this headline here, Ken, and I want to get your reaction as soon as I read this headline. I want you to just tell – you might have heard this, seen this headline before. I don't know, but I just want you just to immediately react. A Maryland dad was beaten to death protecting his son, 14, after high school bullies and two adults showed up and repeatedly slammed his head into his concrete porch in front of his 12-year-old son. Christopher Wright, 43, died after a group showed up at his Maryland home looking for a fight after defending his son. Teens and adults severely beat Wright, who died on Saturday after suffering from a brain injury. His 12-year-old son watched the attack unfold and ran to help him, screaming, Daddy, 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 as the attackers smashed his head into the concrete. Animals. I, I, I don't even know. For human beings to do that, that, that's a third world country situation. And that happened here? Happened in Maryland. So there was a, there was a, a 14-year-old who was being bullied at school. Right. He runs home. His father steps out and tells these high school bullies, no, my son is not going to be fighting you. Two adults said, if your son's not going to fight, then you're going to fight. They grab him, drag him to the ground, and kill him in front of his children. Okay, they're all murderers. They all should go to jail for life. I think I think the, the 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 teenagers that started all this should be incarcerated too. Mm-hmm. When I read headlines like this, it really makes me wish. I think probably a lot of people feel this way. You wish you could have just been there, dude. I'm serious when I say this. On social media, I see these videos. A, a man punching a woman in the mm-hmm. face repeatedly. I, I'm like, God, please, is there a way that I could be there? You've seen videos. I mean, people people are great. People do amazing things. People demonstrate incredible acts of love. But we're still human beings, and we do not have a good track record of being kind and loving to people. We have a track record of letting our selfishness and our pride get to us to the point that Two adults would grab a father who's just trying to say, hey, my son's not going to fight. Well, then you're going to fight. And so they pull him to the ground and, and beat him to death. You know how, you know how hard and how long it takes to beat somebody to death? This isn't, this isn't like you whip out a gun in an instant, in a moment, and you pull a trigger. Every punch is deliberate. Every kick is deliberate. Every time they smash this man's head into the concrete, they felt his skull crash crushing underneath their own hands, and they did it again and again and again. There is no way these people did not leave with this man's blood all over their body, all over their clothes, and all of it stemmed from him just stepping out saying, I, my son's not going to fight. And people, human beings, are absolute animals. Animals. I mean, you, that, that's the right word. In I don't think prison is good enough. No. For people that do this kind of thing. Can you imagine you have kids? Can you imagine the heartbreak it would be 
for to know that your son or your daughter is rushing out screaming daddy, daddy, daddy and trying to do something to get these four big people off your father and you just watch him get killed. This is America today. And and it would be really easy. I've seen the comments. Well, this is Joe Biden's America. This is not Joe Biden's America. This is our America. Because there is nothing in the political culture that would incentivize somebody to treat somebody else like this, do this type of thing to somebody else like this, except, honestly, our own individual rottenness as people. It's the policies of the left that have caused this over the past five to ten years. And what's happening is you defund the police, you, in, you, in, you embolden by Kamala Harris giving bail to criminals, allowing... You know, I don't know if you know this, but she said that back mm-hmm. in, you know, when they're having the summer of love, she said, well, we'll raise money to bail you, you out. If you're burning down buildings, if you're, if you're looting places, we'll, we'll bail you out. This, this emboldens the criminal. Okay. Then you defund the police to where they can't get to a location in time. If you, if that father were to call the police immediately, it would have taken them 15, 20 minutes to get there, especially if there was just an argument at the mm-hmm. time. This took seconds to kill him, maybe, but it... This probably took minutes to kill him. Or probably minutes, but not, this, it would have this whole beating, not ne- nearly long enough for the cops to get there. Not, well, <clears throat> I don't know. It might have taken long enough for the cops to get there. I don't know what the time frame looked like, but I know this. I know it takes a long time to beat somebody to death. My whole point is this. This is why you have to be well-armed. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and I'm saying to protect your family, what you just not mentioned there about kids seeing their parents be destroyed. That's my nightmare. Yes. That's where I want to protect my family, my wife and my children. If I'm out with them, I know for a fact that I'm protecting them by being armed. And I'm armed all the time now. Every time I have my family in our vehicle, I won't say where I keep the gun, but I always put my hand on it every single time. Me too. I I reach back. Because I just want to know. You just want to check it. I want to check it, and I also want. I also just want to practice a little bit. I just want to reach back there so I know what it feels like to reach for that gun. Right. You know, because muscle memory. You know where it is. Yep. You just want to be able to do it. But we're living in a world today in America, and, and you're right about the left. Like I said, people would say this is Joe Biden's America, and on the left would say this is Trump's America. But I, I will never concede that this has anything to do with the Democrats or Republicans, but you're right though. It has a lot to do with policies that enable this kind of behavior. We could trace it all the way back to the policies on the left that where they've introduced welfare, welfare programs that incentivize ripping families apart. We have weaponized our policies against the nuclear family. Oh, when you have a policy that, Oh, a woman can't receive X amount of dollars if she's married, but if she's non married, with a child, she can get all this money. Yeah, and every well, and every child happens? is more money as right. long as she's not married. As long as she's not married. So guess what happens? The man who fathered these children is still living in the home, but they're not married, and he can bail anytime he wants, but he still lives there, and she still gets the money. Or in another case, a woman just has the children realize, hey, I get money for this, and so then she just has more children. There's not even a father in the home. It's just, it is so warped and twisted, and the community that suffers the most from these types of policies are the black community in inner cities because there's less economic mobility. Whenever you find an inner city community that has 
limited economic mobility, these types of policies come in and exacerbate the problem. Yes. And what we've seen across America really are inner city minority communities. Um, and this is why Trump went to work saying, hey, we're going to call We're going to create a lot of reform, especially on criminal justice reform, because uh, without criminal justice reform, people do lose economic mobility. We actually did yeah. some of this myself. I worked with uh, state senator, now U.S. Senator Eric Schmidt, when we were in the, uh, the Missouri General Assembly together. And uh, we went to work on some legislation to give us criminal justice reform. And you know what? It probably wasn't it didn't have the same effect out in Franklin County as it has in the city of St. Louis, because in the city of St. Louis, you will find poorer communities. You will find poorer families. And so if you have a single mother of two children and she gets pulled over and it turns out it's her third ticket because she has a taillight out or something, she could get carted off to jail. Yeah. And she can't afford it. And she she can't afford the the, the taillight mm -hmm. and she's in no way going to be able to afford bail. And if she gets carted off to jail, and the way the the way the whole program used to operate, somebody would say, "Oh, wait a minute, I just ran your plate. You have a bench warrant out for you over here in Warren County. So now we're going to take you to jail in Warren County, and then after you're done out there, you're going to come back to jail in St. Louis County." And so by the time this woman, this young single woman, would get through this whole gamut, she's lost her job. Who knows where her two kids are? And it just sets her back even more. Why? All because somebody wanted revenue. From a broken taillight, or from um, um, from an obstructed mirror, like we are putting people in situations that they can't overcome over the most superficial things. Listen, it's important to have mirrors on your car. I get that. And taillights, it is. It, it's it is very important. But but you know what? If I need to see what's behind me, all I have to do is just cock my head to the right or to the left. But that's There's, not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people that are in low income areas. Well, what I'm saying, though, is that people in low-income areas, that they need this type of reform so that way they don't get carted off to jail. Correct. Yeah, yeah so, exactly. So we passed a bill, and that bill has a greater had a greater effect for people in those poorer, low-income, usually minority-populated communities right. than it would out where I'm from in Washington, Missouri. But that's why Trump was championing these things, because without that type of reform— we are just continuing to destroy families. Like, people want a leg up. They want to get ahead. But if we have policies, and they're always leftist policies, they're always leftist policies. And these leftist policies prevent them from getting a leg up because we have policies created by the left that would send somebody to jail in Warren County, then back to St. Louis County. Now they've lost their job. Now they got to start all over. Now they're back on welfare all over again. And those policies were brought down on us by the left. The Democrat socialist entitlements, for example, I mean, I, they're, they're all for it. They're like, let's give them money. Let's give them money. Let's give them money. All kinds of different things. But it's just enough money to make them uh, under the under the, the, the teat of the government. Mm-hmm. OK, just it's just enough for them to survive. But no one thrives. Well, some people thrive, but not to the point to where they can move into a different location you know, they, they can't, they get scared to try. They get, they they do because it's, it's very enticing to be able to be taken care of. They have security where they're at and they know that if they go out and get a job, well, then they lose their benefits, but they're making more money off the government right now. But if they go get a job, they're not going to get that money and they might lose their job or they might not be able to afford whatever else that they're trying to afford while they're currently on government assistance. So they stay on government assistance. Exactly. And I was, I was unemployed for a short time and, and actually during COVID. 
um, when they were handing out $960 a week Mm -hmm. for people, I couldn't take it anymore. I had to get a job because it was so enticing. Mm. Man, that was so enticing. Free money always is. Dude, I was, for three weeks, I was like, what is going on here? I'm, I am, I'm And that's really not bad money. No. And so I actually got a job that made a lot less, but it was, I knew, I knew this train was going to stop. I Mm -hmm. knew the tracks were going to end and I was going to be stuck without a job. And by the time I was afraid that by the time I would go to get a job, there would be none available. So I did get a job immediately mm-hmm. and I was fine. You know, I mean, I didn't make nearly as much money as I was making actually not working, but I know some people, I know a couple of people who went a full year on $960 a week. And I thought, man, you guys are rolling. They were buying TVs, bikes. They were buying all kinds of stuff that they would mm-hmm. never have bought on the government. And it was so enticing. And they didn't have to show up any place and punch in for it. No, they just got it. They just got it. I think when I read the headline like this, I, you can trace this type of behavior, this type of decline in society back to these leftist policies. But still, at the end of the day, like good parenting, the ability to like just see other people as human beings, I can't, it is beyond me how anybody could just pull a man who, who is clearly just wanting to not have his son fight and decide, well, then, yeah. then we're going to fight you and then, and then kill him. But like I was saying earlier, when we kind of started off talking about this, I would like to have been there. And I don't want to, I'm not going to incite anybody running out there and breaking the law. But sometimes when the justice system fails, vigilante justice is sometimes, depending, right, can still be justice. That's where we get the word vigilante because out in the Western states before they were uh, before statehood, so out in the Western territories before statehood, there was vigilance committees. And the vigilance committees, what they would do is they would remain vigilant to catch evildoers and punish them. Yeah. But then when we got statehood out in some of these states, well, then that came with states, counties, courts, municipal governments. And so then they started saying, you're not vigilantes anymore. Vigilante justice is not for civilized people living in a United States of America. But now when you have the police that are being defunded, that was my going back to yeah. my original point, you have to stay armed because you are you can't wait for the police to take care of the situation. That man should have had been armed and said to them, do not come any closer because I am armed. I would like to see, this is just the fleshly, worldly side of me, the part that wants to find satisfaction, okay? Yeah. When you hear about people that do this kind of thing or the type of people that traffic children, you would like for them to be you would like to bring back public executions. Yeah, oh yeah. You would like to bring it back. And I don't know if anybody's ever done a study on this or not, but I just wonder like what is the correlation between crime and punishment and capital punishment, whether it's public or it's private. I wonder if there's anything there that speaks to the idea that you know, when there are evildoers and the government comes in and executes justice in a way that strikes fear into the heart of anybody, who would be looking to do something like that to somebody else. Just getting a little philosophical here. And and I'm not saying run out and and find a bad guy and go after him. Like, don't do that. But to your point, Ken, and to my point also, you got to stay armed in the world that we're living in today because there is a lot of bad, bad people out there for sure. 
Good show today, Ken. Pretty heavy, man. But yep. it's true. It's Everything true. there is true. Hey, we'll be back next week right here. Paul Kerbin Show, 1019-941. Use Talk STL. People have lost loved ones in the service of our country. That's what this weekend's about, and we shouldn't forget it. Thoughts on a Memorial Day weekend. Right. Follow Paul on social media at Paul Kirkman. Just another day in the world we live. This is the Paul Kirkman Show on News Talk STL. For podcast articles and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com.